Super Talk Mississippi media production. You're listening to Sports Talk Mississippi On Demand, presented by Pearl River Resort. Escape to Choctaw, Mississippi and enjoy world-class gaming, the Dancing Rabbit Golf Club, and Geyser Falls Water Park. Escape to Pearl River Resort. To the junction, in the grove, and to the top. This, this is Sports Talk Mississippi. On your radio and in the game. Right here on Super Talk Mississippi. Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming online, supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, and Brian Scott Rippey. White Death did not arrive last night. Like there, there were small places that got little bits of snow and snow flurries, but not much to stick. But it is cold today. Borky, is it even cold in central Mississippi? Oh, it's freezing. We did get, it wasn't snow last night, but... As you can imagine, I was up basically every hour of the night with a, a crying baby, and we had frozen precipitation of some kind. Like, you could hear it, and it was only for like a half an hour. Yeah. But it was basically just falling ice. But, yeah, it's uh, according to my phone, it's 37 out today, but it feels colder. Hey, Dad, did you get the uh, sled out this morning? <laughs> nah, none of that here in Starkville, just, just cold, cold weather. Yeah. It's sleeted, like ice and sleeted on me from Nashville to about Jackson, Tennessee last night. So instead of being able to just kind of jump on the interstate and open it up and roll, it was like 64, 65 on the interstate, and my windshield wipers kind of froze over, and so did the little the, – okay, I'm going highly technical terms. The, the, the points on the hood where the squirty stuff comes from? Built for tough, man. Yeah. Well, those froze over also, and so it wasn't really squirting that. And, and so I had a couple of times I had to stop and like pull into a gas station. What was it squirting? It just wasn't squirting out. It was frozen over. Uh, Nothing was coming out. So, anyway. Just stop. I didn't do it either. Yes, you did. Just asking. Ugh. He's a sixth grader for his entire life, Borky. How's that drive? Uh, it was long. Got home about one thirty, but made it home in one piece. That's good. Yeah, the drive yeah. kind of stinks at night. It does. I, I went with the go all the way to Memphis and come home route, or almost all the way to Memphis instead of kind of cutting through the back roads that take you through, you know, getting off in Jackson, Tennessee. It, well, nobody cares about that. I don't think. Yes. No, I just did that back in January. Ole Miss played like a seven thirty game over there. Yeah, I drove back that night and like I got. I remember getting one of those like fence post Red Bulls, and the cashier lady kind of gave me the nod, like, "Hope yep. you get to where you're going safe." So you got the twenty four ounce Red Bull? Yeah, it was large at, at one o'clock in the morning. <laughs> Sports talk brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank online at mslandbank.com. Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. If you've got land financing or refinancing needs of any kind, Mississippi Land Bank can help. They've been financing land for over 100 years. They know what they're doing. They can help you, and they're fantastic people to deal with. You can find a branch location or the phone number to give them a call on the website, ms. 
LandBank.com. Uh, Borky, I guess what I did miss last night was a really, really good football game. Sloppy at times, but awfully entertaining. Exactly what we were looking for, right? I mean, as you mentioned yesterday towards the end of the show, we haven't had a good Monday night game since the first Week Monday one. night game, really. And we got that last night. Uh, DK Metcalf played well uh, again, but uh, fumbled on his way into the end zone. If that doesn't happen, we don't have overtime. And everybody today is talking about, well, you know, the 49ers, they had some drops and they played poorly, but they were still in overtime. So all of this stuff, if DK doesn't fumble, the game never gets to overtime to begin with. So both teams made mistakes and that was just two really good football teams going at it at the end. It was a nice kind of ugly. Like, it wasn't like a Josh Allen, Case Keenum, like you're wondering if they're actually throwing with their dominant hand type of deal. (laughs) Like, there were some bad throws and stuff, but the defenses were actually making plays. Like, taking the football away from Garoppolo and then the Metcalf thing. Like, that was a hell of a play by, I forget who stripped it from him. So, like, it was two good defenses and two quarterbacks that seemed to struggle maybe a little bit, or offenses as a whole struggled a little bit against them. It was still fun to watch through the ugliness. Jadavion Clowney is really, really good at football. I hope you're sitting down for that. When he wants to be. Yeah. He does check out sometimes. DJ, DJ Jones had a big sack last night. You kind of forget he's out there, but he's still plugging the middle for San Francisco. Then my roommate actually said that. He said, is that that DJ Jones? I was like, yeah, I think so. <laughs> yeah, I read an article about him about a week ago, and you know, you've got some stars with Boso on that defense, and they're so good, and he does not play a position – that lends itself to stats, and it doesn't really lend itself to being a household name. Uh, but he's been an anchor in the uh, the middle of that defensive line, and has been really one of the nice surprises. Uh, you know, he's from South Carolina, Borky, and he is he comes from a barbecue family. His dad is like pitmaster uh, at the uh, family barbecue restaurant. Nice, and DJ has not missed many meals. I don't think. I remember talking to him about that a little bit when he was at Ole Miss. He was a really neat guy. Then he heard his uh, like he that, that he was kind of a one hit wonder. Like he had that really absurd play, and then he injured his groin and was just like done by midway through the first quarter. Somebody last night. Yeah, I think he played two drives and then got hurt, which kind of sucked. And just kind of blew up the middle of the offensive line on the the play where he got the sack. Yeah, he he embarrassed the center. <laughs> I mean, that really was kind of something to watch. Because in live action, you couldn't really see it. And then you're like, how did he get, like, how did Russell Wilson take three steps and go down? Like, normally you see that off the edge, and then it just, you saw, like, the center just basically might as well not have been there. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit more about the Monday night game coming up in a few minutes. Hey, Dad, you were in Starkville last night. Mississippi State women's basketball gets a win. They win by 40 ish, but still not necessarily the cleanest game. Is that fair to, fair way to look at it? Yeah, very fair, and and it's going to be that way. They're they're playing so many young players so far. I mean, th- there was one point you looked up, and there were four true freshmen on the court for Vic Schaefer, and and you know him that it, that's not the most uh, comforting thing in the world for him. But by and large, State was in control the whole game. Chloe Bibby looks good coming back from injury. Uh, Jessica Carter looks like she's going to be able to fill in, you know, through two games, obviously, you know, but she's she's getting the points and the rebounds you would have expected from Tierra McCowan a season ago. So 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 far, so good for this team. What was the news yesterday, the player for Mississippi State that was transferring out? 
Breamber Scott, and that's something that had been rumored to be happening for a few weeks that she just made it official. Uh, just at the end of the day, she just basically got recruited over, and she had lost her spot in the rotation, and she wanted to go somewhere else and play. She was a fairly important player at times a year ago, wasn't she? Yeah, she was a, especially once Bibby went down, she saw her minutes go up a little bit. Uh, but with this freshman class coming in, and I got to see my first real look at them last night, uh, you know, the, the minutes just aren't there for her. I mean, even a player like Andrew Espinosa Hunter, who was a big player for MSU last year, she's on the bench now. And so they, they've just, they've added so much talent. And that's, you know, that's what happens in the, in, in elite programs. And that's what Mississippi State women's basketball is right now that some players are just going to have to, to leave the program if they want to find the playing time they want. Hmm. Just, just a, um, random women's basketball nugget. Did you guys see the news from the, uh, from the weekend? The Oregon women's basketball team, led by Sabrina Ionescu, you may remember her from a year ago. She was really good. They beat the USA national team. Yeah. And, and not like the U18 version or some scrub version, but like a really good version of the USA women's national team. Dumb question here, but if the players playing for Oregon are not playing for the U.S. national team, shouldn't they in other instances be playing for the U.S. national team? Just send well, they, will, yeah. they, they will be moving forward, right? I would think so, especially uh, the uh, Sabrina. I can't, I can't pronounce her last name. INSQ. Uh, yeah, thank you. Uh, yeah, they, they will eventually at, at some point. But that, that team is... They are an odds-on favorite to win the national title. If they don't win it, it will be a disappointment for them. So what's wrong with UConn now? The Arena Dynasty over? Nah, they're still good, but that, that Oregon team is the best team in the country right now. You know, in some ways it was, uh, you know, there is more importance that has been placed on women's basketball and more programs have decided they care about it. And there's some really good coaches out there who have been able to challenge in recruiting. And I think that's leveled the playing field. You know, for the longest time it was Tennessee. And then UConn came along and kind of took over as the dominant team in women's college basketball. But then you had Baylor and you had Notre Dame and now Oregon. And obviously Mississippi State has risen to that level. South Carolina. And is there anybody I'm leaving out? South Carolina. Oh, yeah. Yeah. South Carolina with Dawn Staley. Yeah. They'll be really good this year, too. So. I mean, do you agree that that's kind of what has happened, hey, Dad? There is definitely more parity in women's college basketball. And look at last night. You know, Notre Dame loses to Tennessee. You know, Tennessee trying to get back to where they were. They had a big win last night. So, yeah, probably all the women's college basketball news for you this afternoon. If something <laughs> pops up, we will bring it to you. A little more on last night's game and a whole bunch coming up with you. We'll talk some men's college basketball with Richard Williams. To start the 4 o'clock hour, Luke Johnson will join us here uh, in about 20 minutes or so. Talk some Southern Miss with him after a dominating performance for the Golden Eagles on Saturday against UAB. And a whole lot more. Sports Talk Mississippi in the Renaissance Bank studio. Renaissance Bank, understanding you. Pretty good slate of college football games coming up this weekend. We'll look at the early lines for some of the games in the SEC and in the top 25. College football playoff rankings round two get released tonight. Anybody want to take a uh, take a guess? Hey, Dad, what's your guess? One through four. LSU, Ohio State. <sighs> Clemson. 
Clemson, yeah. I was trying to think of the one at Clemson. I, I could somehow see Alabama being put ahead of them, but I'm going to say Alabama's at fourth. You think Bama stays at four? Yeah. Forky? I, too, think Alabama stays at four, even though I think it's a big mistake, and you can make an argument for Georgia being ahead of Alabama right now, but and I guess we'll save this for later, but here's a bit of a hot take for your Tuesday. I don't see a reason why Minnesota should not be ahead of Alabama right now. Okay. You in agreement, Rip? Yeah. But, let's see. So, wait, it would go LSU, Ohio State in some order, then Clemson, then Alabama? Right. I mean, that's kind of what a lot of people are thinking. But that would be a hollow floor spot because they would eventually get squeezed out because there would there'd be a week where the teams, a couple of teams behind them would play, a couple of them would win, and they wouldn't be playing. That would be the... First week of December. Would they, though? I mean, that's the question, right? It kind of depends on who and what. Right. If Georgia beats LSU or a one-loss Oklahoma wins their conference or whatever, they're probably jumping them. Georgia would, but would LSU then fall below Alabama or would they stay in front of them? I think you'd have to stay in front of them. They won head-to-head in Tuscaloosa. Probably depends on what the Georgia-LSU game looked like. Maybe. I don't see Alabama getting in, but could be wrong. Yeah, I agree with that. Alabama's in if it was today, but since it's not, they're probably going to end up getting shuffled out. Looks like Will Muschamp is staying put in Columbia. He apparently has the support of some people that really, really matter. So that's good news for Boom. I don't know if it's good news for South Carolina or not. Where does Alabama belong in the college football playoff rankings? Ahead of Minnesota, behind Minnesota. We'll get into that a little bit later. Hoops tonight. Ole Miss back in action for the second time this year. They are playing Norfolk State uh, out of the MEAC. That's uh, not it's, uh, Norfolk from Virginia. Uh, and that is at 6.30 tonight at the Pavilion. Mississippi State hoops on the docket. Richard Williams will join us for the first time this college basketball season. I've always enjoyed our chats with him. We'll get a little bit more into the NFL from last night. I told you Luke Johnson's joining us and uh, and a whole lot more. So thoughts? I, I know we talked kind of at a high level uh, about that ball game last night. Um, but let's start and make it semi-local. DK Metcalf, better in the NFL than you thought, not as good in the NFL as you thought, or exactly what you thought he was going to be. Probably what you thought he was going to be, what what I thought he was going to be anyway, because they use him the exact right way. We, we make jokes about the three-cone drill and stuff all the time, but he was never going to be a Hollywood Brown-type receiver where he's running those kind of routes. He went to a perfect place for him. A great deep ball quarterback, a really competent, good offensive scheme, and they used his skill set perfectly. He's faster than everybody else on the field, and he's bigger than everybody else on the field, so use him that way. So it's not surprising at all because he's 6'6", 230, and is faster than everybody else. I mean, why would that not work? I understand the, the, the three-cone drill in terms of you're trying to gauge the ability to start and stop and lateral movement and, and those type things. But let's think about what you're asking a big wide receiver to do. You're asking him to run slants where he's going to get a give a stick move to get off of press coverage at the line 
and then try to use his body to shield the defender to go toward the middle of the field. You're going to have him run out routes, which, I mean, even if you're not the best lateral mover ever, that's like the first difficult route that a receiver is taught. And it can be run in different ways, but basically it's 11 yards back to 9 or 12 back to 10 or 15 back to 13. And all you got to do is, if you know where you're stopping, plant hard and get a little bit of separation. And the guys that are really good at it use their hands to get a little extra separation. And quarterbacks are the in, in the NFL, especially a guy like Russell Wilson, so good the ball is there as you're coming out of the cut. It's not like you've got to get a lot of separation. Go routes, post routes, post corner routes. Why are those things? Why was it difficult? For so many people to look at DK Metcalf and say, you know what, I think he can be good at this level at a lot of these things. Tom Luganville on March 5th, everybody falling in love with DK Metcalf needs to watch the film. Because Just because you are a physical freak does not mean you are a great player. He's been marginally productive. He's a straight-line player, 67 career receptions, question mark. We threw in a couple of nice hashtags. Hashtag watch the tape. Hashtag Mike Mamula. This is before my time. Eagles linebacker, it appears, is a bust. Physical yeah, freedom. He, he, he had a huge, huge combine, and, and people fell in love with him as a result of that, and he ended up being picked, I think, like sixth or seventh. And Hey, Dad, you're always spot there. on with this. Is that last name pronunciation correct? Mamula, yeah. Okay. You're good. But I would say that was probably ended up not a that uh, – it's a tweet, excuse me, not aging well. Has freezing cold takes grabbed that one? I don't think so. But I just remember seeing it, so I searched it. They'll yeah. get on it eventually, but yeah. it's how much? How much is the uh, perception of Metcalf sort of, or, or his pre-draft perception, maybe tainted by what Laquan Treadwell did not become in the NFL? Maybe a little, but I think there's such different players. I think it was probably more so his injury history and really just not being on the field that much. Because as bad as that tweet was, Luganville did have a point. He didn't really wasn't really that productive in college. He See, was when he was on both, the field. If you had said who's going to be the better pro last year, I would have put all my money on AJ Brown. And not that AJ Brown's not having a a decent rookie season, but having I, a really I was good a, rookie I, year. Yeah, I was of the opinion that if you if one of them was going to be a bust, it was going to be Metcalf. Um, who do you think has the better long term career? You got to get Brown out of Tennessee with their current structure. But he's productive oh, yeah. there, even through it all. Right. I I just like where Metcalf is more than I do where Brown is, if that makes sense. A.J. Brown has 27 catches for 446 yards, three touchdowns. He's averaging 16.5 yards per catch on the season. That's pretty good numbers for a rookie. <laughs> With Marcus Mariota and Ryan Tannehill throwing in the ball. And D.K. Metcalf has six touchdowns on the year, I believe. I don't think he got one last night. Um, he got close. <laughs> he did. Uh, he has 35 catches for 595 yards. He is averaging 17 yards per catch and has five touchdowns. Pretty similar numbers for those two guys. And they couldn't Hit. score in the red zone last year at Ole Miss. Or, excuse me, they were not given the opportunity to score in the red zone last year at Ole Miss. Hey, Dad, when you hear that, do you just chuckle? Yes. Because, I mean, 
I feel like that's almost the reaction at this point from Ole Miss fans because if chuckling is not what you do, then you're looking for a wall and hoping that there's not a stud behind the spot that you choose to ram your head through or punch. Think about it. DK Metcalf has five NFL touchdowns as a rookie. A.J. Brown has three NFL touchdowns as a rookie. They are both on pace to get close to a 1,000 yards receiving as rookies. You also had Demarcus Lodge. You also had Elijah Moore, who's the leading receiver on this year's Ole Miss team. You also had Dawson Knox, who is the starting tight end for the Buffalo Bills, and a 1,000-yard rusher in the backfield, and a first-round draft pick at left tackle, and another NFL offensive lineman, and a veteran center who's now probably selling insurance or something, but was kind of your prototypical SEC offensive lineman that's really good. And Braylon Sanders. And Braylon Sanders! <laughs> and most importantly, you had a, a pretty good QB. Yeah, Tom, who had some And a good stuff. quarterback! <laughs> but he, boy, they scored a bunch of points against Illinois State! No, they got a bunch of yards. Whatever. You didn't read the graphics. <laughs> I mean, the, the rundown for this show is three sheets of paper. How is the college playbook only one? It's a good point. Borky for offensive coordinator. Just just putting that out there. Yeah, B- Borky types in Courier Bold 16 font. Does the font? Is that what you're telling me? It was a small font. It was a small yeah, it's, font. It's a small font. Yeah, there's a lot of plays. <laughs> I mean, look, I have said over and over, I really liked Phil Longo. Like, he and I got along. And I thought that there were some things and some concepts to what they did. But when you say all of those things out loud, you go, Damn it! You might. I I, I didn't. And if you're on the other side, you just sit back and laugh. That's about right. Luke Johnson joins us next. Farm Bureau phone line. Sports Talk Mississippi with you, streaming online at supertalk.fm. Let's go to the Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team. That home team is Mississippi Farm Bureau. Again, check out the website, favorites.com. Go there, enter your zip code, click on Get a Quote. gives you the opportunity to get a quote on home insurance or auto insurance, or you can combine the two. And save, you'll be dealing with local agents, people that you already know, a Mississippi company who has been taking care of Mississippians for a really, really, really long time. That's why we call them the home team, Mississippi Farm Bureau. Luke Johnson on the Farm Bureau phone line. Uh, Southern Miss didn't really even need an offense on on Saturday. Defense just kind of took care of business, and with the uh, the defensive score, they could have won, what, 6-2? to two? Yeah, I just uh, wanted to check on you, though. Um, never heard your voice get that high on air before, right before you went to the breaks to make sure everything's okay with you. Yeah, I'm good. Thanks. Okay. Yeah, defense- See, if I did that all the time, Luke, it would not have any effectiveness whatsoever. And frankly, I don't get that riled up. It was one of those things that, like, when you start saying something out loud, and then you can add to it and add to it and add to it, and then you think about what the result was, it's just like you, you, you never mind. That, that's Hi, Luke. How are you today? 
I'm doing great. Uh, I, I get it. That's the way I was a couple weeks ago uh, when uh, Southern Miss throws an interception on the two-yard line going in to, to take over and would, would win the West. But um, Southern Miss took care of business this past uh, weekend. Defense played really good. Um, it, it helped that UAB's starting quarterback, Tyler Johnston, did not start. He didn't even suit up. And the defense just really had their way. They just pinned their ears back. Tim Billings sent pressure uh, against UAB's backup, Dylan Hopkins, all game. Forced him into two really, really bad throws early in the game. One set up the first score from Steven Anderson. And then DQ Thomas uh, got a pick six later on. And, and uh, the Eagles really didn't have to do much. Uh, Jack Abraham was efficient, didn't throw for about, but about 164 yards. But it was a game that the Eagles needed um, to try to, you know, just get some confidence back going into this final stretch. And UAB's been a team that, that has uh, stung them over the years, and Golden Eagles able to break a three-game uh, losing streak to UAB and take care of business at home. 37-2 to was the, uh, was the final. Southern Miss runs it for 161. They throw for 164, so 325 yards of offense. I mean, not a massive offensive day, but certainly a good enough offensive day and maybe more importantly, get to six and three overall, and four and one in the conference. And you know, there's not much margin of error because of the Louisiana Tech loss and what they're doing. But it kind of continues to give you a chance down the stretch. It does. UAB's got. I'm, I'm sorry, Louisiana Tech's got a, a big game. They go to Marshall this coming Friday night. It's the only game in conference USA on Friday. So. Uh, North Texas didn't even show up for this game this past weekend to help the Eagles out, but, but La Tech's got to go to Marshall, got to go to UAB, and if you're a Southern Miss fan, you take care of business and just hopefully uh, hope something you know pans out there. The Marshall game obviously more difficult for Louisiana Tech than the UAB game will be, but you never know what might happen in Birmingham. But uh, Southern Miss taking care of, of what they needed to, to take care of. I wasn't too... Uh, I didn't really take much away by the uh, the offensive uh, performance, negative or positive. Um, most of the running game of the 161 yards, 79 came on one Kevin Perkins run. Uh, and UAB did a good job. Uh, uh, we talked about their front seven. Um, their front seven created some havoc. Uh, a couple weeks ago, they kept Tennessee you know, to, to 300 yards. Um, but, but Quiz Watkins had a dominating performance. He's only played seven games, and he's the leading receiver in Conference USA, made some outstanding catches, uh, one deep down the field. And so it was uh, the, the one takeaway from the offense was uh, Quez Watkins is the best receiver in Conference USA. UTSA this week, they are coming off a one-point win against Old Dominion. They played A&M a couple of weeks and got beat uh, a couple of weeks ago, got beat handily, had a relatively close win against Rice. It's a road game. Is there any reason for concern on Saturday going to San Antonio for a night game uh, against the Roadrunners? Well, there shouldn't be. But the last time uh, Southern Miss was feeling good about themselves going into San Antonio was was in uh, 2016. You beat Kentucky on the road. You're four and one. You go out to the Alamo Dome and you get it handled to you. It was 28 nothing at the end of the first quarter. Southern Miss got scalded that day, 55 to 32. So, um, you know, Frank Wilson coached on the Southern Miss staff under Larry Fedora. Uh, we were talking to Andy Everett today, who's the voice of, of the Roadrunners. And um, Mimi. you look at what they did this last weekend, Old Dominion is, is a winless team, but they scored 14 points, uh, GTSA did, in the fourth quarter to come back and win that one. On paper, the Eagles uh, should take care of this one pretty handily, 17-point favorite going into the game. 
nothing really uh, scares you too much, except for the fact that a Jay Hobson team has got blown out before in the Alamo Dome. And, again, um, they have to come in and, and start hot and try to try to run the football. Go back, Going back to the UAB game, a name that we didn't see even play once, Trubisky Mosley didn't even make an appearance. One carry against Rice after the bye week, no carries um, against uh, UAB. Kevin Perkins and Steven Anderson really handled the load. Um, and it was the game last year against UTSA where Trubisky Mosley at his coming out party, he uh, rushed 26 times for 147 yards last year. Um, so just not sure about his status. Uh, but uh, you, you just got to be ready to play. It's, a, it's kind of a funky environment out there. Um, it can get loud even if there's not that many people in the stands. So a Golden Eagles. Have you been to a game there, Luke? Do what? Have you been to a game at the Alamo Dome? I've never been to one before. Never have. It looks like it'd be a cool spot for football. That's always one of the bowl games that I look forward to watching. It looks, just looks like a, a neat atmosphere. We were talking to, to Andy today, and you know, you talk about the old USFL. Uh, they had a team there. Um, he just he joked in, in passing that uh, if you want to start another football franchise in San Antonio, uh, you better bring a bunch of money because the last three teams that have left town didn't pay their bills. <laughs> uh, no bueno. On uh, on that front, and then Western Kentucky next week. Western Kentucky fresh off a victory over the Arkansas Razorbacks handily. They cost Chad Morris his job. That's a pretty good Western Kentucky team. It is. It was a team in in preseason that we thought would be even better than this. They they've been up and down. Uh, beat Army at the time. Thought that was a a decent win. Lost to Louisville. Um, but it's a team you, you feel much better that you're playing them at the Rock. Um, they, they've lost to uh, Marshall and lost to Florida Atlantic, so the, the two best teams in, in the East. But it's a team um, that, that's coached really well. I mean, Coach Elton, OC at Southern Cal, OC at, at uh, Tennessee, and, and he was uh, so good as the offensive coordinator before he became a head coach um, there at Western Kentucky. So, um got to take care of business this week, but you know what we thought might be a softer finish with FAU stumbling out of the game is, is hyped up to be maybe uh, the some of the two hardest back-to-back uh, games that the Eagles will play this year. Yeah, and FAU coming off a, uh, a rivalry game win over FIU. So uh, that's the final game of the regular season. Let's switch gears for a second to, uh, to Hoops. The win against Delta State in the opener – Southern Miss loses a six-point game at South Alabama. I heard some people say that that's a pretty good South Alabama team, and maybe the performance that Southern Miss had should give folks some uh, some hope for where this basketball team's headed. It was. Uh, they fought back. They were down double digits with about eight minutes to play. Fought back. Uh, got within one within a minute left, and uh, just weren't able to close it out. Um, again, had a great performance uh, by Jack Donmey. Uh, scored another 18 points, nine rebounds. Leonard Harper-Baker was a beast underneath, 14 points. Uh, Ladavius Drain was only two of ten from, from beyond the three-point range. That's probably where some of those points were lost. Eagle shot right at 46%. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, it, it was it's a good South Alabama team. It's a team that allows you to be able to try to get more in sync with, with your offense. And, and uh, so, Eagles... You know, take it away. You you want to win, but but it's a positive. Um, they got uh, coming up. They got North Florida on Thursday what? before they. Start Why are they playing UNF twice? I have no idea, sir. 
you you're asking uh, someone to comment on how any conference USA team schedules their stuff. A road trip to North Florida Thursday night of this week, November fourteenth, and on December fourteenth, one month to the day later, the Ospreys of North Florida will make the trip to Hattiesburg. Played them last year uh, another time. And just remember, you and I already commented about this. This is the same schedule where you turn around and play Louisiana Tech back-to-back conference games to start the season. Makes zero sense. Yeah, I don't get it. Maybe both teams just had a slot and former ADs that were doing the scheduling knew each other and liked each other and said, hey, let's do a home-and-home. If we beat them the first time, be happy to play them the second time because you'll get a little break. (laughs) <laughs> because it's about to get intense here in a little bit. If you're a Southern Miss basketball player and uh, you want it to play the best, you're about to play the best in the next month. Yep. Got a game coming up with Iowa State in the lead-up to battle for Atlantis. Got a game against Gonzaga on the Wednesday before Thanksgiving. Got a game against Texas Tech in Lubbock. And that's all before you get to conference play. Luke, thanks so much. All right, guys. Talk to you later this week. Luke Johnson on the Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team. We're back after this in the Renaissance Bank Studio. Back with you, Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming online at supertalk.fm. Pac-12 officiating news. Hey, Dad, you will love this. Yay. The Pac-12 acknowledges. I'm sorry? I'm sure you're about to tell me how good they are. Statement from the Pacific 12 Conference. Pac-12 acknowledges mechanics error. No apostrophe. In Washington State, California game. Byline for San Francisco. The Pac-12 Conference acknowledged an error in officiating during the third quarter of the Washington State at California game on Saturday, November 10th. With 10-14 remaining in the third quarter, Washington State received the kickoff and returned it to the 50-yard line. The referee threw a flag on the play for a hands-to-the-face penalty. After a crew discussion, the foul was announced by the referee as hands-to-the-face on the receiving team, number 15. And Washington State was penalized half the distance to the goal from the spot of the foul, and the ball was placed at its own 8-yard line. After the next play was run, the referee informed Washington State that there was an error in application of the penalty. The penalty was on the kicking team, number 15, not the receiving team, and the penalty should have been assessed on Cal at the end of the play with the ball spotted at the Golden Bears' 35-yard line. Conference confirmed the penalty for hands to the face was correct. However, the mechanics and communication were incorrect, in assessing the penalty to Washington State instead of California. Referees subsequently been suspended for one game for the breakdown and officiating mechanics. and Mechanics, 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 mechanics. Shut up! Terrible statement. Good. Give in to your hatred. We threw a flag for hands to the face. The penalty was on Cal. But we announced that it was on... Wazoo. And instead of Wazoo getting the ball at the Cal 35, Wazoo got the ball at their own 8. You had a coin flip snafu last night, too. 
a 57-yard mechanics error. Why do they go kicking and receiving team? Wouldn't it be easier to just pick, hey, fouls on Cal? How did nobody from Washington recognize that that it shouldn't have been on them? You know? No, nobody wants to be called out like that, Rippy. Have, have a little, have a little class. Well, they, they do it when they say the number of the player. They say the number of the player. They announce the team name when they call timeouts. Timeout, Mississippi State. That's their second charge timeout. Yeah, sometimes like I said, sometimes they have the right number. You never know. But like, why do they do that? But not on penalties. Like timeout east sideline. I don't understand it. Yeah, yeah, it it really doesn't make sense. Why do they not? I mean, use at least you could use like jersey colors, or would that be racially insensitive? It could be. It depends. The white team. God, Richard, what year is it? Yeah. Or just do blue or gold. Well, I mean, say so you got Vandy wearing black jerseys at home, playing against a team wearing their white jerseys on the road. Now you've got what are we doing? Fouls here? on blacks and fouls on whites and. As long as it's not Iowa, you'd be okay. Monty Jones is triggered. I'm sorry. Maybe the refs could just be better at their job. I don't know. Just spitballing here. I I honestly don't understand how that happens. I mean, I do understand how it happens, but... You had the coin flip deal last night. Did you see that? No, I missed that. What happened? Oh, in the overtime. Geno Smith, what, called tails that landed on heads, and Geno Smith was just like, I will receive. The guy was like, I sweet. (laughs) He He didn't win the toss, but... Yeah. Stared him right in the eye. Seattle got the ball first. Luckily, well, almost inexplicably, it didn't end up mattering because Seattle drove all the way down the field, and Russell Wilson threw like a shockingly bad interception by by the goal line as they were going in to win the game on the first possession, and so it didn't end up mattering because each team had the ball like three times each after that. And but, wasn't the deal the referee called out in the air and the umpire like recorded in his notebook the outcome of what it should have been? Oh, I don't know about that, but like he very clearly said tails that landed on heads, and then they gave him the choice of what he wanted to do. So like, Geno Smith couldn't lose last night. Was there no protestation from... It didn't seem like anyone on the San Francisco side noticed it in real time. Yeah. If, if there wasn't a microphone right there, nobody would have been, been the wiser. But that's happened before. I remember there's some famous clip of Jerome Bettis, I believe, against the yeah. Lions and something. It's the other happened. way around, though. He called Ooh. correctly, and they said he didn't call correctly. I want a scandal like this in a college football game where I'm on the sidelines because I always go out to midfield for the coin toss. Like, I'm watching it. And if they, if they tried to pull a fast one, I'd be like, whoa, 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 hold on a second now. That's not what happened. Switch out the coins and do a same-sided coin. That would really Well, they start out with a coin. I mean, unless you've, unless you've got a referee acting as a magician. I didn't stop him last night. Yeah. Isn't that kind of the point of the captains being out there is to pay attention to what's going on? Well, now it's become more about who didn't shake whose hand. Hour in the book, Sports Talk Mississippi with you in the Renaissance Bank studio, streaming online at supertalk.fm. Four o'clock hour is next. One of my favorite things about college basketball season is the conversations that we get to have on Sports Talk Mississippi with this guy who has always been gener- uh, generous with his time. 
Let's go to the Farm Bureau phone line, check out favorites.com, and go with the home team, joined by Richard Williams, who is the color analyst on the Mississippi State Basketball Radio Network, former Bulldogs head coach, led them to a Final Four, and he is on your radio right now. Richard, what's up? It's cold down here in Madison. I don't know how it is where you are. I saw you on TV last night, so I'm not sure where you're located, but it's cold here in Madison. I am I am back in Oxford. I drove home after the game last night, and it sleeted on me from Nashville to about Jackson. Oh, my goodness. That's so, no fun. That, yeah, that was you know fun drive home. took a little longer than, uh, than normal. Yeah. Um, we're a week into the season. Do we know anything yet about anybody? Well, you know, the, the games I've seen are obviously the two Mississippi State games. I've watched a couple of games on TV. I watched uh, part of your game last night. I watched uh, uh, Texas A&M and Louisiana Monroe uh, because that's our next opponent. Uh, but I, I have not seen any of the, the games that where Kansas, Kentucky, and all those people played, so I don't know. Uh, I, I've heard some of the commentators talking about how many turnovers there are, how, how sloppy the play is. And uh, you know, I, I can tell you that the Mississippi State team is right there. We're averaging almost 21 turnovers a game in the mm. first two games. And uh, I think a lot of that is due to the, uh, the, the early part of the season, uh, and especially a team like Mississippi State. They're so young. Uh, they're learning to play together. They're playing without a true point guard. Uh, so I think a lot of teams early in the season are having some of those same kinds of issues. What in the world happened on Friday night in Starkville? I, I guess two-part question. One, how did Mississippi State get so far down against Sam, Jose, uh, uh, Sam Houston State? And then how did they come all the way back and close it out the way they did? Well, they got behind because Sam Houston State had a, a really good defensive game plan. Uh, they played half-court defense, so they would pick up right at mid-court line, and, and uh, Tyson Carter uh, and Iverson Molinar were, were trying to play the point. Neither one of them are true point guards. And, and they would make Mississippi State start their offense so far away from the goal, they never could really get into any kind of consistent half-court offensive set. So what they were having to do is just try to drive the ball. And the, the Sam Houston State team was so well coached on – when the ball was being driven into a gap, that next defender was getting off and helping so quickly they were making them throw the ball to the next receiver. They weren't letting the Mississippi State players drive the ball all the way to the basket uh, because if you watch any film on Mississippi State, you know that's one of their strengths, their ability to drive it to the basket and finish at the rim. So Sam Houston State was making them pitch the ball. Uh, when they did get it inside to Reggie Perry, uh, and he, he would turn it over trying to score against two or three people. Reggie had seven turnovers in the game. Uh, it was a very frustrating first half for him. And so with 13 minutes going in the game, Mississippi State was down by 18 uh, because they just couldn't get any kind of offense going. I think they ended up with 23 or 24 turnovers. Now, having said that, the last seven minutes of the game, they decided to play. Uh, they decided to really get into Sam Houston State defensively. Uh, they outscored Sam Houston State, I think, uh, 34 to 2 or something. Here, 17 to nothing to finish the game the last three yeah. minutes. Uh, and it was just simply because they decided to play and they turned up the heat. And they used their athleticism and their size. Uh, and, and it was just too much for Sam Houston State. All right. So put your coaching hat back on. Level of frustration when you know what your team is capable of and you watch them flip the switch. Because, in your words, they decide they're ready to play defensively, aggressively on the offensive end. 
One, how frustrated are you? And two, from a coaching standpoint, what would you do, or what does Ben Howland do more specifically to get them out, uh, get that out of them for forty minutes? Well, it obviously has to be frustrating for Ben and for the entire coaching staff. It's frustrating for me to sit there and watch it, to be honest. With you. <laughs> and so I know it has to be frustrating for them. Uh, and and all you can do, he used Coach Howland used every one of his timeouts, Richard. He was out of timeouts with about thirteen minutes to go in the game. Uh, and with that last timeout, apparently he finally got their attention. Now, what he said in the huddle, I don't know. I asked him after the game on the post-game show, uh, was there an attitude adjustment? What did he do? And, and obviously he, he didn't get into too much detail. He said they did change the way they were defending the ball screen a little bit, and he felt like that had something to do with it. But Sam Houston State also is a young basketball team. They only have one starter returning from a conference championship team last year. Now, that one starter is really good. He's a six-seven guy, about 240 pounds. I would love him to be on our team. I mean, he is a really good player. Uh, but the rest of the guys are young. They're junior college transfers. And when Mississippi State turned up that defensive pressure, they just kind of went to pieces, and they didn't even get a field goal attempt, I think, the last three minutes of the game. So uh, whatever Coach Allen said to ease his frustrations and to get his point across in that last time out, it worked. Richard Williams on your radio, radio color analyst for Mississippi State basketball. Bulldogs have got a pretty challenging schedule on the horizon. We'll get into that in a second. I, I am curious on the Reggie Perry thing. He, he went and got the draft evaluation uh, chose to come back to Mississippi State. I, I've not read that. I've not talked to anybody who did. But from what I understand, and it would stand to reason given the way the game is played in the NBA last night, their NBA teams wanted to see him develop a little bit more of a perimeter game. What What's the danger in that um, from a, a win-now standpoint and, and maybe what you need from Reggie Perry versus him – continuing to develop as a shooter from the perimeter? Well, uh, you know, for the, the coaches at Mississippi State, it's a frustrating situation because of exactly what you said. Reggie, he projects as an NBA player as one of the power forwards or stretch fours, they call them now, because now the NBA game, and I know you've watched some of it, it's all about four out around a, a big guy. It's ball screen. Uh, come off the ball screen and, and have that roll guy surrounded by four shooters. And, and Reggie projects to be one of those four perimeter guys in the NBA, and he is skilled enough to do that, Richard. He can really dribble it. He's made four passes this year so already in two games where he makes a one-hand lead ounce pass to a cutting player for a wide-open layup. I mean, it, it's passes like uh, point guards make. His problem is he doesn't particularly want to be a post player, but as the coach at Mississippi State, you want him to be in the post. Zone. He's 6'10", he's 250 pounds, he's strong, he's a great offensive rebounder. Uh, and, and so you, as, as a coach, to be successful, you need him to play in the post more than he wants to play in the post because he's trying to show NBA people he is a perimeter player. But in all honesty, I don't think NBA people care where Reggie plays right now. Uh, they look at his size, his athletic ability, his willing to go rebound the basketball on both ends of the floor, shot-blocking ability. They'll work with his shot. If his shot's not what it needs to be, they'll have plenty of time to work with that. So it's just a little bit of a frustrating situation, I'm sure. And Coach Allen has not said this to me now. This is my own opinion. 
Yeah. Uh, it's a frustrating uh, situation for him, I think, as a coach, knowing he could be your best offensive post player, but also he's skilled enough to play in the perimeter, and you've got Abdul Adu as your post player, and you need him in the game because he is so good defensively. So it, it, it's a tough situation for the coaching staff right now. Looking ahead on the schedule, ULM was in a tight game with uh, Texas A&M last night. A&M ultimately wins that game. That's one that you expect to win. You expect to beat New Orleans. you got, you got to play those games. You, you expect to beat Tulane when you get to Myrtle Beach. How much are you looking forward to a potential matchup with Villanova? Uh, well, to kind I, I'm, of... I'm looking forward to it, but I would think the coaches aren't right now. I think they're worried more about ULM. Uh, I, I, I've watched the second half of that ULM game last night. At halftime, they were ahead of Texas A&M, thirty to twenty-two at Texas right. A&M. Uh, and, and ULM is coached by Keith Richard. I don't know if that name's familiar to you. Keith is a, a longtime friend of mine. Uh, he coached at Louisiana Tech as a head coach for a lot of years. He was an assistant at LSU. He's gone back to ULM, which is his alma mater, and he is an excellent basketball coach. And his team plays really hard. They're a good defensive team. They play four-round-one motion. Uh, there's constant movement, constant cutting. They're very difficult to defend. And they have size. Plus, they have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven junior college transfers. Mm. Uh, so they're going to have some older guys. Uh, it's not going to be an easy game for Mississippi State. Now, if we can get past that one and get past New Orleans and beat Tulane, I don't know about that one because Tulane plays a defense that's hard to play against. It's a matchup zone. Really difficult to play against, especially early in the season. And, and if we can get to Villanova, Ron Hunter now I the coach there, right? Tell us something about what our season is going to be. R- Ron Hunter's now the coach at Tulane, right? Yes, Ron Hunter, who was at Georgia State, uh, and, and he was at IUPUI for a long time, and then he was yeah. at Georgia State, very successful at both places. And he played this matchup zone. Uh, I have not seen them play, but actually, I was talking to John Brady this afternoon, uh, and, and John has watched them practice. And he said that matchup early in the season is going to be difficult to play against. All right. Richard Williams, he has coach in his blood. And when you have coach in your blood, it's hard to get him to talk about Villanova, which is a couple of weeks away. (laughs) Maybe we can do that next time. Coach. All right. Thanks so much, as always, for your time. Thank you, Richard. That's Richard Williams. He's the best. Color analyst on the Mississippi State Radio Network. Hope to visit with him regularly throughout the basketball season. Sports Talk Mississippi in the Renaissance Bank Studio. Always appreciate Richard Williams joining us on the Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team. Hey, Dan, I know you guys talked about it early yesterday. I think it was before I joined in. What was your uh, roller coaster of emotions during that basketball game on Friday night? It was really not much of a roller coaster for the first you know, 34, 35 minutes. I was just, hey, they're going to lose and they're playing poorly, and this is, you know, this is not going to be a, a good start to the season. And for a team that's desperately trying to get fans into the arena, this is not going to be a way to do that. And then it just sort of turned around real quick, and like uh, sort of what Coach was just saying, you know, not that they played particularly well, but they found enough to, to win, and and you know, it was enough, but. They've got to start playing better than that. These slow starts have just become like a trademark under Howell in the past, the past year or so. Uh, they just, they find a way to dig themselves a hole, but then they, they are usually able to dig themselves out of it. When they get into conference play though, those, you know, if you're losing by 17 to Sam Houston State, when you play teams like Kentucky and Florida and Tennessee, those are going to be 25, 26 point 
holes, if if not worse. And those are yeah. gonna be those you're probably not coming out of. Next game for Mississippi State Thursday night at home in Starkville, six o'clock tip off on against ULM. So that's uh, that's coming up on Thursday. Uh, Ole Miss has got a home game tonight, playing their second game of the year. They are meeting Norfolk State, the Spartans, out of the MEAC Conference. Uh, Beat Alabama in NIT last year. They did. You're absolutely oh, yeah. right. And it was a a really big win for them, 80-79 to 79 in overtime. That was, uh, I mean, that was probably already the end of Avery Johnson anyway, but, like, if there was any doubt, he, Norfolk State removed it. Uh, arguably the biggest win in their program's history, Norfolk State's. Um, no disrespect intended here. I don't know that we've got strength of schedule numbers yet, but my guess is if we did, uh, Norfolk State would be near the bottom. They opened with a 41-point win over Greensboro College. It's not going to help the net. They followed it up with a 40-point win over Penn State Wilkes. Bar fair. I always mess it up. I don't know what that is, but they're probably not going to look back on that one in March and look at it as a resume builder. Uh, the game tonight in Oxford, and then they return home for a game later this week against the Apprentice School. What? Is that like, is that like Trump University? The Fighting Yafides. I'm, I'm just reading their schedule. The Apprentice School? No, I get it. Their next two games are against teams you've heard of, Bradley and Northwestern, as part of the Fort Myers tip-off tournament. Northwestern fresh off a loss to a school that just, in their first year of being a, a basketball program. Merrimack. I saw that last week. Yeah. What was it? Merrimack. Yeah, that's exactly what it was. And the only reason play, I remember that is for, it's for Civil War puns. They play Caldwell? My mom's maiden name. Man, the Apprentice School. They, I mean, this is a, a roller coaster of a description. The the Apprentice School is I, a I need four, to know more. Go. It's a yes. four or five year apprenticeship vocational school founded and operated by Newport News Shipbuilding and Dry Dock Company in Newport News in the United States of Virginia. The school trains students for careers in the shipbuilding industry. Hold on a second. Did you say in the United State of Virginia? That's yeah. how. That's what I'm reading. So I'm reading directly from it. at the end of ship there, Borky. Um, yeah. that, all joking. Seven hundred twenty-five students. All joking. Did the yeah, Sith run it. All joking aside, that does not seem like a school that would have athletics programs. I, seriously, I mean, they yet, play basketball there, and yes, they do. So, uh, Ole Miss and uh, Norfolk State Rebels will play Western Michigan on Friday night. That's a school I've heard of. And then Seattle next mm, Monday or Tuesday? Tuesday, I think, of next week. The apprentice school, the uh, the shipbuilding school. Guess what their mascot is? A ship. The builders. The builders. Yeah. There you go. Bob the builder. It, it's a. What does he look like? Is it's it a, a muscular a guy builder? with a hard hat on and a flannel shirt and blue jeans. Any so it's Bob the builder. <laughs> is his name Bob? Oh, Please tell me that it is. Bork. Borky, you don't know about Bob the Builder yet. I know about Bob the Builder. Oh. You'll okay. know more soon. Yeah. That was actually around when I was young, like a kid. Really? You're still young. Yeah. Fair enough. Well, okay, a child. Yeah. 
You're still no, never mind. Uh, I had the, about the same responsibilities as Borky's kid. Do you know what the um, mascot is for Seattle? Anyone? The I'm actually Super fairly Sonics? decent at obscure mascots, but I don't know this one. The Pilots. I thought I that did was know that. State. Ah, or Portland. Is it not the Portland. Seattle Pilots? They're the I'm Red Hawks. The Seattle Red Hawks? Yeah, Portland. It's the Portland Pilots. See, the whole Pacific Northwest just all runs together. The Seattle Pilots Oops. is something, though. Hold on. Is that a baseball the Seattle team Pilots there, were the pro baseball. They were they were what they were called before they were the Mariners. Portland State, I believe, is the Vikings. Hmm. Boy, swinging a miss by me on the mascot trivia. Yeesh. Well, Portland State is one of Arkansas's two wins this year. And now it's all full circle. Is it their largest margin of victory? It was six points. <laughs> I was being somewhat serious. They beat What's Colorado State, I think, next? by like 20. What do you He'll mean be an he do he's he's Yeah, they, be, they beat Colorado State by three touchdowns, oh, and it was tied going into the fourth. And that was Chad Morris' best Colorado coaching State. job. What do you mean, what is he going to do next? I mean, what's he going to do next? He's going to look at his he's bank account all. and hit the beach. Sure, oh, but I mean, if he doesn't search for a job, is Arkansas going to stop paying him his buyout six months in? It's a good point. He could just walk around the street telling everybody he was at Clemson that one time. <laughs> Remember Clemson before they were really, really good? Yeah, I was coaching there then. I left and I they won Clemson titles. before it was cool. Yeah. You think if like one day a week he stood out on the street corner in like a sandwich board that said football coach for hire, that would qualify? As looking for a well, job? If he actually wanted to coast off that buyout, wouldn't he just be an analyst somewhere? Yeah. Go to the Nick Saban Clinic for re- Rehabilitating Coaches. I'd stay off the field, though, as far as analysts, so you don't aimlessly pace the sidelines like Butch Jones. Like, you know, Well, they're the suing Brett Bielema, though, because they're claiming he didn't actively pursue other coaching jobs as rigorously yeah, I mean, as he should. So Chad Morris has to go looking for jobs. Assuming he has the same contract. I mean, that's that's the, the point I was making in this initially was can he just go to the beach for a year if he wants to? You know what kind of got You can go to the beach that, and still get your agent to make calls, right? What kind of got buried in that Michael remember Michael Bennett kind of mysteriously got cut from the Patriots like they do or traded, I guess, the Cowboys. He had a philosophical disagreement with the defensive line coach. Guess who the defensive line coach is? Brett Bielema. How do you think that conversation or argument started? I would have loved to have been on the fly on the wall for that one. Mm. Considering Michael Bennett, I would probably think that Bielema was in the right. That's just, you know, process of elimination. Here's the thing, though. I mean, for for all the flack that Brett Bielema has taken, Bill Belichick doesn't hire bums. He doesn't suffer fools lightly. He doesn't hire people that are bad coaches because people want to coach under him. They just become bad coaches after they leave. I mean, he went to three Rose Bowls, man. See, I think the the Bielema failure might be an indictment on Arkansas more so than it is Bielema. I I know it's the Big Ten's not the SEC, whatever. The guy went to three Rose Bowls. Yeah, Borky just nailed it. Because like, we treat all these coaches the same once they fail now, but the bad ones failed two or three times and then stopped getting opportunities. 
Bielema was a good head coach, and then it just he actually like Arkansas went a complete disaster the whole time he was there. It just never really got over the hump, and you know it didn't work out. But like his, I guess, batting average in terms of head coaching success is probably still good enough to get him another gig eventually. I would think. And you know the crazy thing is, I thought he was the perfect fit for Arkansas. Oh, I didn't. The, the philosophy that we're going to out Alabama, Alabama, which at the time meant we're going to no, 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 no. I mean personality. I oh, personality, I can get behind, but I didn't think from a coaching standpoint he was a good fit. In went, a world of like weird SEC offenses now, his was actually kind of I don't want to say refreshing because I'm going to sound like old man, like old school football, but it, they were kind of interesting to watch when they had competent quarterback play. In his five years there, he went to three bowl games, won eight yeah. games one year. His first year That's they were bad. More his bowl. last year they were bad. Three and nine, seven and six, eight and five, seven and six, four and eight. They would take Texas that bowl, for the next five Liberty years bowl, right now. Belk Bowl. Who can forget that Belk Bowl where Jeremy Sprinkle was arrested for stealing from Belk? <laughs> forgot about that. I forgot about that. While great holding moments a in college dollar gift card. Yes, he was on the shopping spree and he didn't have enough to get a belt or something. So he's like, I'll just take that. It's called hiding in plain sight. Learn about it. It's smart. Hide smart very business. Well. More coming up with you, Renaissance out make studio. So, hoops tonight, SEC teams, the Evansville. Anybody know their mascot? Ooh, uh, the Aces. Evansville. Damn. I'm sorry, what was that, they hey, Dad? Me. The Aces. What kind of Aces? Purple. Purple? Purple Aces. The Evansville Purple Aces are What's at Kentucky tonight. Ace? Ace, it's purple. Uh, Missouri nailed it. Is at Xavier. That's an easy one. Um, Citadel, or the Citadel, if you prefer, is at Georgia. Are they the Bulldogs? That's they not are. right. That is right. They are. Yes, yeah, right. they are. Auburn at South Alabama. North Texas at Arkansas. Uh, Mason Jones scored. 32 in the season opener for Arkansas. Uh, they won by about 700 against um, Rice to start the year. And uh, Murray State is at Tennessee. The Evansville-Kentucky game and the Murray State-Tennessee game are both on SEC Network tonight. If you want to watch that, or maybe you want to watch this one. From the Moda Center in Portland, Oregon... Oregon, number 14 in the country. Memphis, number 13 in the country. And Penny says James Wiseman's going to play. I don't think this is going to work out well for them. I appreciate, I guess, the like, ballsy nature of it, but I don't think this is going to work. It feels reckless, doesn't it? I mean, well, what, if, everything if about it. Doing it. If you admit to doing it, if you admit to the $11,000 for moving expenses. He gave the university a million dollars to build a Hall of Fame. A million dollars in 2007. Well, all that aside, just admitting to the actual explicit act. I understand that, but the million dollars makes him a booster forever of the university. And even though, I mean, we've... and, and But no, just let me, finishing that thought, Borky. I guess your booster status goes away when you become employed and your job is to recruit. So he's now the head basketball coach. But that's the thing. He, he but was, he was a booster 
at the time at which he gave $11,500 to the mother of a guy who already at that point we knew was going to be a star basketball player. It's fairly cut and dried. And if you, you, you keep reading this stuff and people go, oh, well, there's no appetite for this right now. Name and likeness, name and likeness. This has nothing to do with name and likeness. This has nothing to do with paying players. At the same time, in like a gross underbelly of the sport that sometimes kind of makes you sick, like queasy in terms of like agent steering kid and stuff like that, this felt more goodwillish. Like it doesn't really feel that. Did it really? Delicious. Did it really feel goodwillish, or did it feel like Penny wanted to move them to Memphis because he was working on a deal two or three years out to get Tubby fired and get the Memphis job, and having I mean, James Wiseman in his back pocket would I, help? I, all of that may be true at the same time, but he's not giving him eleven grand to move, and I doubt it's just as simple as hey, here's eleven grand to come move to Memphis. I'm sure he was. I mean, that seems like moving, and then kind of expenses and stuff like that. I don't know. I could be wrong. It's cultivating a deal. That's what it is. It's, Maybe I so. will do this, and you will play for me when I take Tubby's job. That's what that is. I think it was that direct that far out. It was only a year out. This happened oh, last no, year. No, this this was Puppet Master stuff. I mean, it was well orchestrated. It just hasn't been well covered up. Penny's the Puppet Master in Memphis. And nobody's talking. And everybody in Memphis is pulling in the same direction. But doesn't the game change when you go before a judge? Right? I mean, Wiseman's people are suing the NCAA and as like an ancillary piece of it, the University of Memphis. Now, there's this New York Times writer who's like all in on go Memphis, go Memphis, go Memphis. Now's the time to get the NCAA. And I'm all for getting the NCAA. But how many times have we talked about the fact when the NCAA puts you in their crosshairs and they want a pound of flesh, they get it. Yeah, especially when you're going the litigation route. Uh, I mean, an organization that gets a billion dollars in revenue from one month's worth of work, they're going to have the best lawyers that money can buy. If you want to go litigation, you better have a really strong case, and they just simply don't. I mean, if you in this current climate, if you really want to champion somebody going after the NCAA, wouldn't the better choice be Chase Young? Yeah, probably so. Kid took a, a personal loan, and, and the person that gave it to him, it, you know, how he's in his life is probably a little sketchy because he came into his life when he was a high-profile recruit, so that makes you kind of wonder, but took a personal loan to fly his girlfriend and his family to watch him play in the Fiesta Bowl, and they Rose have documented... It was the Fiesta Bowl, I thought. Was it? I, I thought I, everybody said the Rose Bowl. Either way, to, to whatever fly Bowl out Bowl. west to go play in a big bowl game... And apparently they have documentation that shows that he paid the loan back. Him sitting games, that's what you need to, this is why the NCAA is bad, champion that. Not no, I agree. a basketball coach <laughs> paying eleven grand to move a family to Memphis as he orchestrated a plot to take the coaching job. This just doesn't seem like the, 
NCAA is bad okay. what story about to go with. Stance, though? What, what about Memphis's stance here? They're just going all in on this deal. <clears throat> Excuse me. All in on this deal. And they're going to go try and win it all. And fine, we'll get the trophy. You can take the trophy back. You can take the banner down. We've been there, done that. We're going to go try and win it all. And we're going to have a blast doing it. And then you try and convince everybody that didn't actually happen. My only thing is how, if the NCAA pursues this, and let's say it takes some time, and, and maybe James Wiseman does play all the way through. If Memphis goes with the middle finger in your face attitude the whole way on this thing, and knowingly, systematically, from the university president, legal representation, athletics director, head coach, staff, support staff on down, works to actively go against the NCAA, how bad will the penalties be? I mean, you're mortgaging your future on this. And you're not talking about probation. NCAA loves to bring up the past history thing, because remember they had that bizarre deal in Ole Miss's was it the when they finally like final punishment or whatever they cited behaviors dating back two and three decades? Yeah, like that? Billy Brewer stuff. Well, Calipari existed in Memphis. Derrick Rose existed. They've already vacated a Final Four. Does that it, qualifies like what was the ridiculous on the repeat offender status? Is that what that's called? Did I make I, that I up? Yes. But I mean, if this is what Memphis digs in on. They better win, because if the NCAA wins, they will decimate that program. Penny will get a multi-year show cause. Athletics director, can you give the AD a show cause? I don't know if you can or not. And the athletic director is just a puppet of the president right now. I mean, David Rudd's calling the shots on this deal, the president at the University of Memphis. But they are absolutely all in. And I love that the, the line that the local media keeps parroting is, in a time when there's so much excitement surrounding the University of Memphis, a, a nationally relevant football team. We just had game day a couple of weeks ago. Everybody's excited and moving in the same direction, and then the big bad NCAA wants to come in and shut it all down. I've seen a lot of uh, Memphis fans don't deserve this. Right. Not low-key at all. No. Where's this thing in, hey, Dad? With Memphis, at, at the very least, not in the NCAA tournament this year, and probably not for a year after that, at least. Does that happen this year, though, because of how quickly things yeah. move? I, I think, I think, I mean, well, I think Memphis of is sort of forcing don't that. Move. No, I'm thinking that Memphis is sort of forcing the NCAA's hand. They're going to they're gonna have to... If you're just going to push back at the NCAA, they, they, they can push harder. And they, Why does the NCAA I, I, just... Not send a formal letter of, letter of inquiry and open a an investigation and then take as much time as they want to go through everything. It's true. Mm-hmm. I've seen that before. You can meet at plenty of McDonald's in Memphis, is Mike Sheridan. <laughs> I would go to Gus's Fried Chicken. That's just me, though. Does the expense account cover that? I would hope so. I mean, the NCAA has enough money. What was the University Avenue one in there, right? Here? I think so. The McDonald's here? Allegedly.
Well, you know there are two here. I didn't know if it was that or Jackson. I'm pretty sure it's University, allegedly. Sports Talk Mississippi with you, streaming online at supertalk.fm in the Renaissance Bank studio. It's going to be interesting to see where this thing plays out. I think that's an interesting game tonight with Oregon and Memphis. 8 o'clock on ESPN. Back with you, Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming online at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, and Brian Scott Rippey. Bunch of college basketball tonight. Some in the SEC, some in the top 25. It is time for the Pearl River Resort pick of the day. Brought to you by the Sportsbook at Timeout Lounge at the Golden Moon Casino in Philadelphia. So if we go to top 25 basketball action tonight, Kentucky's a big favorite at home against Evansville, 25-point favorite. Xavier, a five-point favorite at home against Missouri. Auburn, a seven-point favorite on the road against South Alabama. Oregon is a four-point favorite in Portland against Memphis tonight. That's part of the PK Invitational, the Phil Knight Invitational. I don't know enough about Oregon at this point to feel comfortable on that one way or the other. What about Utah? (laughs) You like that? I don't see that Utah is... (laughs) Um, I like what Auburn has done to start the year. And I like laying the seven points that uh, Auburn is giving up on the road tonight in Mobile. So Pearl River Resort pick of the day, number 22 Auburn off to a 2-0 and start in Mobile against 2-0 and South Alabama. We'll lay the seven points with the Auburn Tigers on the road tonight. That's your Pearl River Resort pick of the day. What's the line on the Ole Miss game? Is that... Uh... I think you had that in the notes, Borky. I'm just looking to see if there's an updated line. I don't see There was not one available. Okay. So no line on Ole Miss and uh, Norfolk State tonight. Arkansas is a 13-point favorite at home against North Texas. Tennessee, Murray State. That could be interesting tonight at uh, Thompson Bowling. So anyway, that's what we'll go with. We'll go with Auburn laying seven on the road against South Alabama in Mobile tonight for the Pearl River Resort pick of the day. You guys going to dig in on some college basketball tonight? I'll be at a game. I won't won't have a chance to. What do you got going this evening? Uh, We got football practice interviews after the show, and then I got to record my podcast, and that'll be my evening. There you go. Oregon-Memphis, again, 8 o'clock Central on ESPN. You got some ACC Network stuff, some SEC Network stuff, some Pac-12 stuff, CBS Sports Network. So there's a bunch of college basketball uh, on tonight. And then you get into the um, the football stuff that is uh, on the horizon. We got football games tonight, Borky? Yeah, uh, Maction. Ohio U's hosting somebody, and they're wearing really sweet-looking all-black uniforms. Eastern Michigan is at Akron. Akron is 0-9 on the year. Eastern Michigan's a 17-point favorite. And Western Michigan and Ohio is a pick'em in Athens, Ohio. 26 degrees currently in Athens, Ohio. Western Michigan 6-4 on the year. The Ohio Bobcats. Frank Solich 
four and five on the season. Frank Solich has now been at Ohio for a really long time. I referred to him the other day on our podcast as is that old guy still at Ohio. <laughs> Jeez. I didn't even mean it in a bad way, but like Colin knew what I was talking about immediately. Like you mentioned him being there a long time, kinda has a iconic look, always has gigantic headset. It's like a skinny hat. At Nebraska, Frank Solich coached six years, went fifty eight and nineteen, thirty three and fifteen in conference play, but that was a time where that was not good enough at Nebraska, and so they moved on. We were talking about Arkansas a minute ago. And would they take what Bielema has done? My God, Nebraska would take that right now. 15th season at Ohio for Frank Solich. Check out this. Oh, bad radio. Look at his shirt he was rocking. Oh, that's beautiful. That is beautiful. The 90s Old game school days or something. It's like eight different colors on that thing. So 21 years now as a head coach for Frank Solich. He got the Ohio job in 2005. And here they are in uh, 2019, still rocking along with Frank Solich. 110 wins and 80 losses. Some of the guys that coached under Frank Solich who have gone on to be head coaches, Craig Bowl, North Dakota State, and then Wyoming, currently at Wyoming, Scott Frost, Turner Gill, Buffalo, Kansas, and most recently at Liberty. Derek Mason coached under Frank Solich. So did Bo Pelini. Currently at Nebraska, at uh, Youngstown State, Fighting Penguins, and uh, Carl Pelini, who had a uh, short run at a, uh, Florida Atlantic, a two-year stint at FAU, and then a one-year stint at Bowling Green, did not go well for Carl Pelini at either stop. Five o'clock hour coming up. College football fix. When we come back with you, Sports Talk Mississippi in the Renaissance Bank Studio, Renaissance Bank, understanding you. Sports Talk Mississippi with you, streaming online at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, and Brian Scott Rippey. Sports Talk brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank. Online at mslandbank.com. Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. If you've got land financing needs, Mississippi Land Bank can help. Maybe you're thinking about building a dream house in the country. Well, that's right in their wheelhouse. Maybe not a traditional loan. You're buying a small piece of property, going to put a house on it. Mississippi Land Bank can do that. They can also help if you're a farmer and you've got equipment needs, you're buying a new piece of property, getting a production loan, or maybe you just need to refinance an existing loan. Mississippi Land Bank has been working in the land financing business for over 100 years. If you're in North Mississippi and you think they might be able to help or you just want to kind of add to what you're already doing with them, give them a call, stop by one of their branch locations, MSLandBank.com, Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. Just after 5 o'clock, time for the College Football Fix. College Football Fix is driven by Ford and your local Mississippi Ford dealers. Log on to BuyFordNow.com and find out why the best-selling trucks are built Ford Tough. You can test drive one today. 42 consecutive years that F-Series has been the best-selling truck in America. Good savings on the 2019 models that are still on the lot of your local Mississippi Ford dealer. So kind of the first peek at lines for the games coming up this weekend. We'll obviously visit with Lee Sterling on Thursday and Bruce Marshall on Friday. 
he, uh, Lee had that big 50-unit play last week, uh, Borky. You were tracking that close. Or Rippy, you were tracking that closely. How did it turn out? He won, didn't he? He did. Wasn't it the Illinois-Michigan uh, State? Mm-hmm. Turned out to be an outright oh. winner. He had to be so sweating that, that for a while, though. Oh, yeah, it was 28-3. to three. Yeah. So that's probably bad news for Mark D'Antonio. Yeah, and he's gotten the vote of confidence, right? Well, then you have the news that came out today that basically he sent his quarterback back into the game without having him go through concussion protocol. Just said, oh, yeah, I'm good coach, and they just sent him back in. And then after the game, a reporter asked him, you know, if you have a message to – uh, you know, Michigan State fans and alumni who who are a little disappointed with the direction of the program. What would you say to your fans? And his response was, "No comment." Next question. I'm sure it'll be fine. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of, it's not hard to see the wheels coming off. Sometimes, is it? No, sometimes it's it's right there in plain sight. Yeah, and it's only a matter of when the, the vehicle actually runs right. off into a ditch. Yeah, it's when, if not if. Um, Alabama, 21-point favorite at Mississippi State. What do you think? Initial thoughts. Think, early thoughts. I think Alabama will cover that with ease. Okay. Man, just, no big game hangover. You think it's an nah. angry team, and that matters? Well, I think it, it, that, regardless of that, I just you know I, I see Mississippi State and the way they performed against good defenses through the Joe Moorhead era, and I don't see them getting much more than maybe ten points. I certainly think Alabama, who hasn't scored less than thirty-five all year, will will get more than that. So it's a pretty easy mathematical equation for me. Fishy line alert. Fishy line alert. Florida is only a seven and a half point favorite at Missouri. Well, last year you'll remember Drew Locke and them went down there after a really bad loss to I think maybe Kentucky. No, not Kentucky at home. It was someone else. Was it Tennessee? Yeah, that's what it may have been. I don't remember, but they went down there and beat the brakes off of them in the swamp. It was like thirty-eight to ten or yeah, something. Yeah, it may have been like the most really most shocking result of the year. In SEC, that is. Well. Missouri doesn't have Drew Locke. No, they do not. He's an employee of the uh, Denver Broncos. And they it may not Kentucky have Kelly Bryant. It was Kentucky. It was Kentucky? Yeah. But at that, that point, the game the wheels... They, that was the game Go where the, uh, the, pass, the pass interference in the end zone took a touchdown away or something. There was some wacky call. Imagine that. Does that not? Does that line though not look? I mean, I understand talking about history and whatever, but just given the way those teams have played, I mean, Florida's coming off a fifty-nine to nothing win over Vanderbilt at home. Who beat Missouri? Missouri is in a tailspin. This is one to stay away from, Richard. This that that, that line means somebody knows something. Don't okay. be surprised. How many close. games has Missouri won? They're five and four, I think. But they With were five and over. Were they five Virginia. and one? Yeah, no. West they were Virginia, five and one when they Virginia, Troy, South Carolina, Ole Miss. They have another non-conference win, like Missouri State or something. George is a two and a half point favorite over Auburn. Did did I read somewhere that that line opened at like 
a touchdown or nine or something like that and then just fell off the map? I don't know. I haven't seen that. Morky, what is it? You've got Odd Shark or something where you can like track the lines? Yeah, give me one second. It very well could be a, uh, a summer line, though. Oh, okay. I got you. Uh, Kentucky, an eight-and-a-half-point favorite at Vanderbilt. What a scintillating game that should be. Whew. Over-under on passing yards in that game. If I gave you 250.5 combined. Yeah, that was a summer line. So it it's, it says nine and a half is what it opened, but that was back in June or July. Okay. Uh, so the line opened at three, and is or two and a half, and has just bounced between the two of them since then. Under, hey, Dad. Yeah, I'm, I'm you with take you on that. Under 250 combined passing yards in that game. I think so. Okay. Kentucky's probably not good for more than 50. Eh, I'd go over the 250. Right. It might open up Lynn Bowden a little bit. You want, you want to put a friendly dollar on it? You want to do that, or you want to do a dinner? See, there's a big gap between dinner and one dollar. I like going the trading places uh, uh, route, but we can do dinner. Need to put a higher risk on it, though. I, I feel pretty confident. I'll go under. Yeah, you're on. All right, so steak dinner. Three hundred would make it realistic. He set the line, not I me, said, and then asked if I, I wanted to wait fifty. I feel good at 250. All right, I'll take over 250 total passing yards mm-hmm. in uh, Kentucky. You, it's just Vanderbilt. dinner. All right, if you want to get a steak, if you win, that's fine. But I'm going to pick where we go if if I win this time. We might get a steak. I'm just saying. I want to have that power. So the winner gets to pick the restaurant. That's right. Only Fair enough. Thing. All right. Fair enough. I'm pretty good at picking restaurants usually. You you know not nothing against you, but I'm just saying you never know. LSU twenty one point favorite in Oxford against Ole Miss seems low. It really kind of does. But Brett Norsworthy and I were talking about this when uh, we finished up the post game show last Saturday night. He said, "What do you think the line will be?" And I said, twenty six, twenty six and a half." I mean, as improved as Ole Miss's secondary has looked over the last few weeks, this will be a whole other animal, like, honestly, kind of like Alabama-ish, and then Ole Miss moving the football at all on I mean, Bo Nix threw for, what, 340? He threw for 340. Um, Still. the one. So, so the, big, the, the closest comparison, obviously, is Alabama's offense. Here's the one thing that I would say, and I'm not, I'm not taking anything away from what Alabama did. Because there were several over-the-top plays where it was just let it fly and go get it, and there's nobody back there to defend it. But a big part of Alabama's success was short passes, spinning out of tackles, and then racing to the house. If you tackle better, that number looks different. LSU actually has more of a downfield passing game than Alabama did. And that didn't, I mean, what was the kid's name, Devonta Smith? Yeah. He had like five catches for 400 yards at halftime? Something and and seventeen touchdowns. That's correct, give or take. Uh, South Carolina is getting ten and a half at Texas A and M. That feels That's a little a off points. too, doesn't it? Feels a little high, but I, I, I you couldn't convince me to take Carolina. Oh, you think it feels high? I mean, ten and probably a half because is it's old. probably just because it's new. But that always feels like the strangest permanent East opponent. Yeah, 
Arkansas, Missouri makes sense. You're used to state Kentucky and Ole Miss, Vanderbilt, LSU, Florida. Like, just A&M, South Carolina is weird. Yeah. They're so far apart, too. But yeah, just for me, like, A&M is, is good and South Carolina is bad, but I don't know if there's that wide a gulf. I, I could see South Carolina keeping it close. But you lose. think South Carolina plays closer against A&M than Mississippi State did? Yes. Hmm. Games of national interest, Navy at Notre Dame. Navy's getting nine and a half. Wake Forest is at Clemson. Big number on that game. 33 and a half. Wake was ranked last week until it lost to Virginia Tech. Yeah, that honestly Handily. probably hurt Clemson more so than anything. Iowa's a favorite at home over undefeated Minnesota. Iowa, a two-and-a-half-point favorite at home against undefeated Minnesota. That one's at Kinnick. It's your college football fix. Got a question on the ceasefire text line. The number is 601-879-4395. 601-879-4395. You can hit us up. question was... Um, a line of interest in the state of Mississippi, Southern Miss going to UTSA. Golden Eagles are a 16-and-a-half point favorite in that game at the Alamo Dome on Saturday. Saturday night game in uh, in San Antonio. So you can uh, you can check that out. And don't forget the C Spire text line again, 601-879-4395. At C Spire, Black Friday starts now. Get deals like your choice of top smartphones free with trade-in, $100 off tablets and wearables, and a whole lot more. Find tons of incredible deals at cspire.com slash Black Friday. C Spire, customer inspired. Um, All right, poll comes out tonight. College football playoff poll round number two. And you got people debating all over the place where Alabama belongs in the poll tonight. And it feels like we are gaining momentum toward the idea that maybe they shouldn't fall out of the top four, even. So here's what you've got. Undefeated Ohio State, currently number one. Undefeated LSU, currently number two. One loss, Alabama, although they were undefeated when they got the number three spot, but currently Alabama at three, they are eight and one. Penn State at four, they are eight and one. Clemson at five, they are nine and oh or ten and oh? Ten and oh now, aren't they? Yeah, ten and oh. Clemson has an open date this week. That's not right. They play Wake Forest this week, and then they've got an open date before South Carolina. Um, and then you get one loss Georgia, one loss Oregon, one loss Utah, one loss Oklahoma. It doesn't matter after that. Everybody is grabbing onto the idea that LSU is going to number one. I tend to agree, but Ohio State did hang 73 on Maryland. And by every, you know, I don't care how good or how bad your eyesight is, Ohio State certainly passes the eye test. 
Is the eye test enough to potentially keep Ohio State number one? They just don't have a win. They don't have multiple wins that LSU has. With Auburn and Florida as well. LSU's got wins over Texas, Auburn, Florida, and Alabama. That's a really, really strong resume. Ohio State's best win, maybe Cincinnati, 42 to nothing. That or Wisconsin. Michigan State was in the top 25 when they beat them. They beat Wisconsin 38 to 7. Going to Nebraska, though, I know Nebraska's not any good or whatever, but dominating them in the rain the way they did was, I mean, like you said, they passed the eye test. It was impressive. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think LSU, just based on their resume, goes to number one. This, this may sound like heresy. I would love to watch a matchup between LSU and Ohio State. I can't wait. I hope that happens. But right now, Ohio State looks like a slightly more complete team to me. And it's because of the defense. LSU's offense is about the most fun to watch that I've seen in college football this year. But defensively, they're giving stuff up. I mean, I I do think they're getting a little better on defense because that's a really good Alabama offense. They gave up 41 in that game. And they've given up some points all year. They're still quite good on that side of the ball, but uh, I mean, Ohio State has given up nothing to nobody. They gave up 38 to Texas, 38 to Vanderbilt, 28 to Florida, 20 to Auburn, 41 to Alabama. Um, so I don't know. I mean, I, I, I tend to think it's LSU 1, Ohio State 2, Clemson 3, so then you got to stick somebody in there with one loss at number four. Why? Unless, unless Minnesota. you want to take Minnesota or Baylor. Baylor was actually ranked five spots higher than Minnesota prior to last week. See, I want somebody. I don't think it's going to be you guys because I think you guys kind of agree with me. Somebody on the text line to tell me why Alabama should be ranked ahead of Minnesota right now. Just those two. Forget Oklahoma and forget Georgia. Okay. How do you know? How do you know? Because I watch football with my eyes. Okay, you watch them beat up an Ole Miss team that gives up 340 yards to That Alabama roster is so talented. Offensively, they're so, so good. Okay. But why should they be ahead of Minnesota other than because they beat up on really bad teams? Because I think they're a better football team. So yeah, com- just better. Then, then what's the point of even playing the games? What's the point of even doing all this? Alabama can play nobody. Hey, hold on a second. Hold on a second. Yeah. Hold on a second. Minnesota can get there, but they just they can't get there this week. They well, yeah, should be there this week. The, the what is the point of doing this? These playoff releases are meaningless. Sure, they're for debates and interest and media and television ratings and all those things. Undisputed should sponsor it. If Minnesota can't get there, well then, I mean, then let's just shut down this conversation to move on. I mean, what's the point of doing a sports talk radio show if we're not going to talk about the 
college football playoff poll. If, if and debate the college football talk playoff. about it. You no, asked no, no, me no, no, my no, opinion. But you, you, you said, what's the point? And I'm saying, well, in theory, these these releases are pointless. It's just talking fodder. So I guess that I guess it's not pointless. That is the point, but there's really no substance behind it. Because like if Minnesota wins all their games, they're going to be in the college football playoff. It's pretty easy. They are. But, okay, Borky, you, you want to put Minnesota's schedule side-by-side side with Alabama's? Yep. Minnesota has one good. They have one win against the number four team in the country. Alabama's they beat Penn State by five at did. home this past Saturday. Mm-hmm. Yes. Alabama's resume staple is a loss. That's the best looking thing on Alabama's resume is a loss. They struggled some with Tennessee. A&M even gave them kind of a game. And that's their best win, is Texas A&M. So so do you not trust your eyes? I think if you put the two of them on the field, that Alabama probably would win. But I don't know for sure because they haven't played anybody. And the only team they have played, they gave up 46 points to at home. Alabama would beat Minnesota by two touchdowns in the snow in Minneapolis. Maybe so. By Four touchdowns in Tuscaloosa, and by three touchdowns on a neutral. Field. Then let's oh, I just agree. Then let's just forget could, about the, the way games. They move, the way they move the ball in Penn State, they could definitely move the ball in Alabama's defense like that, with relative ease. They have two NFL wide receivers. I mean, it's not like they're completely void of talent. But if if we just know beyond a shadow of a doubt that Alabama is just better than Minnesota, then what's the point of even playing the games and having a resume? then let's just skip everything we know or or everything that happens on the field this year because there's no point of Minnesota even beating a top-five team if it just doesn't matter because Alabama gets ahead of them because our eyes. Because my eyes told me that... Alabama is ahead of them today. I didn't say they're not part of the college football playoff. I said today. Today, Minnesota's resume is better. That's another weird part about this dumb sport is there's not even really a real playoff like if playoff would be in terms there'd be a qualification system to get in not a bunch of dudes sitting in a room being like we like these four teams but as a result of that you're getting these de facto playoff games that aren't playoff games remember alabama georgia last year de facto playoff game everyone probably thought georgia was a better football team last year than notre dame but they lost the playoff game before the actual playoff game so therefore they're out. You're probably going to get a similar type of deal in the Big Ten, Big Ten Championship game. So like you're all getting an equal shot. Just a couple of these games aren't labeled playoff games, and it creates this weird subjective dynamic because you know it's not a real playoff because nothing in this sport can be done in a way that makes sense. But but Borky, your argument that why are we even playing the games if you say Minnesota can't be there? I'm not saying Minnesota can't be there. I'm just saying I wouldn't have them there today. You asked me my opinion. Oh, yeah. yeah we're so, debating. if Minnesota beats Iowa on the road this week, they, they will not jump Alabama. Forward. No. Because and winning they, games against good... Take, and then they take care of business against Northwestern. And then they beat Wisconsin. And then they beat Ohio State in the Big Ten Championship game. You're darn right there in the playoff. Without question. And if you're talking about um, not just eye test, what, didn't I see this right? The opening line, Iowa was actually a favorite over Minnesota. Iowa, they are still. a favorite. Okay. So, like, 
Vegas doesn't just use eyes either. So, I mean, there is some and if, science And if we want to pick this. schedules apart, their first three wins were by a combined 13 points, by seven over San Diego State, by three over Fresno, and by three over Georgia Southern. And then they and beat then top five Penn over State. A ba- and then by seven over a bad Purdue team. They've been much better since then. Back on Sports Talk Mississippi, Michael Borky and Brian Haydad with you for the rest of the way. Richard Cross and Rippy are off to the Pavilion Ole Miss and Norfolk State tonight in basketball. Richard's on the call if you want to watch it. And Rippy will be providing you coverage on supertalk.fm so you can catch that after the game there. A few of your texts that have come in on this topic, we're talking about what the college football rankings, uh, college football playoff rankings should be tonight. Richard thinks that Alabama should be ahead of Minnesota. I think the opposite, going back and forth on that a little bit, some of your texts have come in, then we'll get Haydad's thoughts on it because uh, we didn't really give him a chance in the last segment to do so. Uh, one from the 662. Y'all just make me so I guess I have to sit here and listen to y'all. <laughs> uh, from the 662, Minnesota has a better win uh, than Ohio State. That is very true, but uh, Ohio State will have uh, Penn State and Michigan to close out the season on top of the ability to likely play Minnesota in the Big Ten championship game. David in Oxford uh, says he completely forgot about Baylor. And the reason for that really is Baylor's resume, and that's that was my stance on Minnesota, is look at their resume. I mean, they have a win over number 4 Penn State. That stacks up against better than Alabama's, in my opinion. Baylor does not have so much. That's coming. They have Oklahoma this weekend. Is that right? Is it this weekend or next weekend? It's next weekend. Yeah. This weekend. No, it's, it is this weekend. Oklahoma okay. is actually a 10-point favorite. Uh, in Waco at Baylor. That is this weekend. Uh, So we'll find out what Baylor's really made of uh, coming up this Saturday. Rudy says he hates to say it, but he is with Rippy on this one. Tim and McGee says all Minnesota has to do is win. All all Alabama has to do is win. I disagree with that second point. Alabama needs some help elsewhere if they want to get back into this thing. They do. They do. Jeff says uh, he thinks Minnesota deserves to be ahead of Alabama, but he also thinks Iowa is going to beat Minnesota on Saturday. Caleb and Starkville says resumes should take precedent. I test should only break ties after resume review. He's with me on this one, Minnesota over Alabama tonight. Uh, a text from the 769 that says, how is Minnesota ranked behind Oregon and Georgia? Georgia lost to South Carolina, and Oregon might as well be the Pac-12's Alabama, because they are there in name only. Oregon's going to have chances as well to make up for that resume. And going into the season, I, you know, blind squirrel finds a nut every once in a while. I told you that this Oregon team was going to be pretty good, but their road schedule was really tough. Turns out to not be so much. Stanford's down, Southern Cal's down, Washington's down, Washington State's down. So they've had a much easier path than what you thought going into the season. Uh, but Oregon basically is going to have to win out, including a win over Utah in the Pac-12 championship to make some noise. But I wouldn't count out Oregon or Utah, the winner of the Pac-12 with just one loss, getting in ahead over, say, an Alabama. And I'm with you about Georgia, but and we'll bring you in now, hey Dad, for this one real quick. You can make an argument that Georgia deserves to be ahead of Alabama right now. Because their loss is worse, I'll give you that. But their wins are better. 
They do have a, a better – Florida is a better win than anything Alabama has. And they have Notre sure. Dame as well for whatever that may be Notre worth. Dame, yeah. Notre Dame. I mean, it's a good – it's a it, it's better than – what's Alabama's best win? Texas A&M? A&M is probably yeah, their best win. So Notre Dame is a better win than that for sure. Actually, Oregon, is I, Tennessee a better win than Texas A&M right now? I think Texas A&M is still a better win. Probably so. That's I, a stretch on Tennessee for, having a good October against teams that they yeah. always should have beaten. I've said it a few times on this show now that if Oregon – only loses one game and is left out, you will not see that will be the end of trying to schedule hard games. Because if they, they if they hadn't scheduled Auburn, if they had played just some other random power five team or or even a group of five team, they would be undefeated in in, in, in the playoff. So I, I think right now, honestly, the team that Alabama should fear the most is Oregon. Because I, I think a, a, of one loss teams, Oregon, if they win the Pac twelve and at one loss, they're going to get in over Alabama. And then Oklahoma as well. I mean, let's say they beat Baylor this weekend and they win the Big 12. I mean, conference championships shouldn't be the end-all, be-all, but shouldn't they matter at least a little bit? They Oh, they definitely should. They definitely should matter some. For, for There's no question about that. Um, Kevin in Smithville I, 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 says... Yeah. Not rewarding wins is a problem. Why would big programs like Alabama schedule tougher games if they know they don't have to? I test should have no part in rankings. That last part I disagree with somewhat. I think that's how you should separate teams that have very similar and equal resumes if you have to. But I think wins should be rewarded. And even though, as Richard and Rippy both pointed out, I mean, look, tonight doesn't matter because in a few weeks all of this will probably work itself out anyway. Minnesota is going to have to play Ohio State at some point, so they will work that situation out. But if we're going to do rankings, if we're going to go through this process, you got to reward wins and resume to me. And right now, Minnesota's resume is more impressive than Alabama, so they should be ahead of them, but it will all work itself out. Somebody from the 662 says, look at the moon. Can't see it well, from here, hey Dad. I don't. I don't know about you. I, I'm in. A, I'm in an office. I'm in a studio right now, so I can't. There's no windows in here. There are three layers of walls between me and a, and a window. I'll. Uh, I'll but look at that I, on the way. When home. I leave, I promise I'll take a look. Graham's asking if Georgia should be higher than Alabama. I think. I think you can certainly make that argument. The eye test tells me that Alabama would beat Georgia because their offense is more explosive, but the resume says. Even though with the worst loss, Georgia has wins that you can count on. Alabama doesn't. You can certainly make the argument you will not see that tonight, but you could argue that tonight. I'm looking ahead now. What is Alabama's football schedule like? You know, they've sort of been burned these last two seasons by their opening game. Normally they try to schedule a really good team. Last year they got Florida State. They didn't know that Florida State was going to fall apart the way they did. You know, when that game was, was right. scheduled, we thought, wow, that's, that's going to be one of the best games ever. And then this year you know, they have uh, – they had Duke, and I mean, not a whole lot you can do there. Next year, Alabama opens up with Urban Meyer's USC Trojans. <laughs> Is that going to happen? Can we get Meyer versus Saban week one of the 2020 season? And then they play that notorious SEC killer, Georgia State, in week two. Yeah, and credit goes to Alabama. They're not afraid of scheduling people down the road if you look at their future schedules. It just didn't work out this year. By the way... They are at Mississippi State. They host the Western Carolina Catamounts next weekend. And then they go to Auburn. Looking ahead here. Auburn, Alabama 2021 starts with Miami 2022. 
They play Texas at Tech. They are at Texas, a true road game in 2022 in week two of the season. Let's just do one more. 2023, Texas returns the favor and comes to uh, comes to to Alabama, and they also play USF on the road in 2023. They play in Tampa. That's interesting. When's the last time Alabama played a non-conference game? A non, a true non. I guess it, they played Penn State a few years back. That's a Power Five. They could, they, they surely have never gone to a Group of Five team. Yeah. David in Oxford says uh, the only way he sees two SEC teams getting in outside of pure chaos is a 12 and 0 LSU loses the championship to 11 and 1 Georgia. And, yeah. and it's not far fetched. It would need to be close too. It would need to be a close loss. Yes. Yeah. But if like, LSU gets blown out, they're not going to take LSU. I mean, Ohio State could lose in Ann Arbor, Michigan. In the last game of the year, like that's very possible. Uh, Oklahoma could lose again in the Big Twelve Championship game or to Baylor this weekend, but that really complicates things. There's a path for Alabama getting back, but then you have to consider Alabama's resume up against what will likely be conference champions. And the team uh, that you said, hey Dad, that you need to keep an eye on is Oregon, because if Oregon beats Utah and wins the Pac-12, do you put? In Alabama, a non-SEC champion Alabama with noticeably a weak resume in ahead of a conference champion who will just have won a top 10 game in Oregon, that will be the most hotly contested thing since the start of the college football playoff. Especially if you say, well, Alabama beat Auburn. Right. And Oregon lost Auburn. But Oregon didn't. And that's going to be something. That is something that's going to get pointed out. That's why, for for the sake of college football, there is something in the balance here. I, I I really believe that, that if Oregon is left out with that one loss to Auburn, you're going to see teams get away from having these. these. And, and I get that they want to do it because attendance is bad, but as long as the TV money is there, nobody really cares. Text from the 769 that says, if Ohio State loses to Minnesota in the Big Ten Championship, do they get in the playoff? I think that would be a hard no. Uh, no. Minnesota would take their spot. You'd have LSU, Clemson, Minnesota and somebody not I named Ohio State. I don't think Minnesota is going to beat Ohio State, but the worst case scenario for the Big Ten is Minnesota loses a game between now and then, and then right. beats Ohio State. So, we'll see. Kevin and Laurel asks right now if if I would take Minnesota over Alabama and, and resume means so much. Why do you have Clemson there? That's a really good point. Clemson's best win is Alabama's best win, and that's Texas A&M at home where they struggled with them for three quarters. Only scored 24 points. I mean, they're blowing people out, but look at who they're playing. Their best win on the schedule, should they finish undefeated, will be Wake Forest. You know, I've said they're going to be three just because that's what the committee is going to do. But if you told me that they don't deserve to be three, I would support that. They haven't played anybody, and they haven't beaten anybody. So we'll continue on this next at Sports Talk Mississippi in the Renaissance Bank Studio. There was one. Hey, Dad is off to 
Mississippi State practice, some post-practice media availability. That will all be up on the website, supertalk.fm, for you here in a little while. So it's just me, Michael Borky, all by myself with you one more time on this Tuesday afternoon. Feels weird saying afternoon when it's pitch black outside, but that's just me. Worst time of the year. A couple more of your texts here. One from the 662. Don't worry, I'm an Ole Miss fan, but Mississippi State is going to beat Alabama this weekend. Okay. And finally from the 601. Bama is in, boys. We will see a rematch. And and that will be the discussion. Because if things go the way most people expect them to, even though I've been screaming and crying about Minnesota being ahead of Alabama, they're probably going to get taken care of in the Big Ten Championship game by a better Ohio State team. That's probably going to happen. Clemson's going to run the table because there is nobody that has a chance on their remaining schedule, including in the ACC Championship game. Look at the division opposite of Clemson. It's brutal. Uh, so they'll get in basically by default, and then I don't see a path where LSU does not get in. But even if they lose in the SEC championship game to Georgia, if that's who makes it with just one loss, Georgia is getting in anyway. It's that final spot that'll be a heavy discussion. And since Alabama at this point does not have a shot at making the SEC championship game, that will be the team that's hotly contested, that everybody's talking about, that will be debated ad nauseum for a while until those games actually get underway. And if you were listening a few minutes ago, it's because you will have a one-loss Pac-12 champion. Oregon and Utah are not losing until the Pac-12 championship game, and the winner of that game will have just finished the season as a conference champion with one loss and a win over a top-10 team. Oklahoma has a real chance of being the same team. I know they go to Baylor this weekend and they have to play in the Big 12 championship game, but if they'd run the table, it's a one-loss conference champion out of the Big 12. Even if you think, even if your eyes tell you that Alabama is better than Oregon, I do not think that you can leave out Oregon, who won their conference coming off of a... a, schedule and a resume that is objectively better than Alabama's and their last win being of a top 10 variety, you cannot leave them out of the playoff in favor of a non-conference champion in Alabama with not a good resume. You know, we can talk about how the SEC is the best conference in the country, but in reality, the SEC below the top four is really, really, really bad. You've got coaches on the hot seat, you've got coaches getting fired all over the conference. It's not good below the top four in the SEC. It's just not. Alabama's most difficult game is the one that they lost. I don't know what you can do there. David and Oxford ask if Clemson has killed the ACC. I don't know if so much they've killed it, but you have programs that are traditionally, or that should traditionally be good that just simply aren't holding up their end of the deal. Florida State obviously made a mistake hiring Willie Taggart. Florida State will resume their status as a power in that conference when they make a a competent hire, and I think one is coming. If they, let's say they get Mark Stoops from Kentucky, by the way, I think with what he's done at Kentucky, he will take Florida State and make them a contender in the ACC again. 
Miami should be there. You don't have to leave the county that Miami's in to field a nationally competitive roster, and they just haven't been able to do that yet. We'll see what Manny Diaz is able to do. Otherwise, the league simply just doesn't have that many college football powers in it, traditionally anyway. It's Clemson and Florida State and Miami, who hasn't been good, honestly, in a, in a while, a really long time. And then a bunch of schools that have never been able to pride themselves on football. At least not at a nationally competitive level. From the 662, bigger bracket problem solved. Yeah, I think, I mean, this year has the potential uh, to be that year where we finally get push, real push, from the powers that be for expansion. A follow-up text from the 601, the guy that said Alabama is in, we will see a rematch. He's wanting to bet on it. Hey, I'll take your bet on it. Alabama will not make the college football playoff this year. Send me a wager. If I think it's fair, then we will uh, we'll bet on that. Andy says Alabama could beat LSU. Any of those other teams in question? Yeah. I think so. DK says, and this is the last thing we'll do today, we're just out of time, unfortunately. I believe if Alabama got beat by LSU, you could give them a little age. But if they got beat, I don't know what you're trying to say there, actually. So we will end on a high note. Thank you so much for making our show a part of your day. We will talk to you in about 22 hours from 21 hours from right now. Have a great night. Enjoy your hoops and we will talk to you again tomorrow. For Richard Cross and Brian Haydad and Brian Scott Rippey, I'm Michael Borky. Have a good night. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.